Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. I just wanted to reference Father's Day because I wanted to just make a few dad references, really. And um, I want to talk this morning about some things from Joshua and about households and, and fathers. But, you know, it's too good an opportunity to miss, really, to not at least do a little bit of dad humor. Okay? So the first thing I did was I found four sets of text messages between a father and their son or daughter. So I'm going to put the first two up on the screen, okay? So this is conferences. There's, there's a classic dad message. Good evening. This is the hotel manager. Will you be dining in our lounge tonight? That's a classic dad text to their son or daughter, isn't it? And then, did you know that a falling raindrop can hit you at a top speed of 18 miles an hour? This is a dad information. Why? It's just the way it is. No, why are you like this? Because I have the time. Go cut your lawn. <laughs> and then the next one is a dad. I have the first Apple Watch in Canada. So cool. He strapped an apple to his wrist. <laughs> Homemade. And the answer, good grief. And then, have you heard of Murphy's Law? Yep. Have you heard of Cole's Law? I haven't. It's thinly sliced cabbage. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and then I, I had, I've, I've got nine dad jokes, okay? I make no apologies for these, not at least until I've told you them. So I was walking down the road, and a stranger came up to me with free sofa and chairs. He offered them to me, but as my mum taught me, I chose not to accept sweets from strangers. <laughs> I went to the shop to get eight cans of Sprite. I got home. I found, I found out I only picked... Oh, no. I've done it wrong. Wait, reset. <laughs> I went to the shop to get eight cans of Sprite. When I got home, I realized I'd only picked seven up. Oh. It needed to see that was all right, wasn't it? So today, my son asked me, can I have a bookmark? And I burst into tears, 11 years old, and he doesn't know my first name's Richard. <laughs> bookmark, no, okay. Did you know that the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece? Yeah. Oh. I thought you'd be with me on that one. A slice of apple pie is £1.50 in Jamaica and £2 in the Bahamas. That's the pie rates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Stefan. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? I matey. Okay. Uh, I ordered a chicken and egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. Slow burner. If a child refuses to sleep during nap time, are they guilty of resisting arrest? <laughs> I quite like that one. And uh, this is the last one. This is a, everybody knows this one. Once you call someone with nobody and no nose, nobody knows. <laughs> All right. See, I so I I love being a dad mainly because I get to do bad dad jokes and embarrassing things, but. Uh, if you're a father, if you're a, a, a father here in the room, could you just give me a wave, dads? And if, you, uh, if you've cared for people and you're a spiritual father, could you give me a wave? You know that you've looked after, you've discipled, you've led people. And um, it's a privilege to be a dad. It's a privilege to lead in our home and our, and our homes and our families. Our households are precious. And uh, I really believe God was wanting us to recognize the significance of our households. And so I've called this morning Whole Households. And it stems really from Joshua's statement at the end of 
the book of Joshua. In Joshua 24, verse, verse 15, um, towards the end of that verse, Joshua makes a statement and he says this, As for me and my family, my house, we will worship, we will serve the Lord. That was his statement of faith. That was his statement of intent. That was, those were some of his final words. But what a statement. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. We will serve the Lord. When my auntie uh, got saved, my, uh, my auntie Carol, when she, she became a Christian, she became born again. She was the first person in our family to get saved. And she, God highlighted that verse to her, and she declared that constantly over her family, our family. And guess what? Salvation spread like wildfire through our family because she was making that statement before the Lord, before anybody else who was listening, as for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord. And that be, extended beyond her and her husband and her children. That extended to her brother and her, and her, and her, and her two brothers and their wives and their children and her parents. And, and God is so gracious and He wants whole households. God is in the business of saving households. And households are really important. They're really significant. When we read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's references to households all the time. In the Old Testament, the word in, in the Hebrew is beith, and in the New Testament, it's oikos, but it essentially means the same thing. It's a physical home, a physical house, but much more than that, it's the people who are part of that household. And you see the jailer get saved in, in Acts when Paul and Silas are set free from prison, and it's him and his household are saved. When Peter goes to preach the gospel to Cornelius, a whole household is saved there and then in that moment. Not only are they saved, but they're heard speaking in tongues and worshiping God together. And the guys who are with Peter are thinking, well, they're definitely born again. We have to baptize them in water now. This is, this is spread farther than just the Jews. This is for everyone. But whole households, whole households. And you know, the, the, the concept of households are familiar to us now, but I don't think we quite recognize or maybe realize how significant households and families were, particularly in ancient Middle Eastern times when the Bible was, was set. We have a concept now, but there was an even greater meaning and, and, and importance and relevance and, and priority placed on families then. And we've moved away from that, and probably at an ever-increasing rate, particularly in Western society, particularly over the last however many decades, there's been a shift away from the family to the detriment of society. You know, now families are physically scattered. If you think of your family, you, some of them may be in the area, some of them may live overseas, but yes, the relationship might be good, but physically they're scattered. In, in, in those times, families stuck together, physically stayed together, lived in close proximity to one another. In modern society, it's common for different people within a family unit to have different jobs and careers and work in different, totally different spheres of life. But in a, a traditional family back in the Middle Eastern times, you were brought up to be part of the family business, to take on the family trade. You inherited the wealth of the family to continue to pursue growing the family business. That was very much the norm. So we're more scattered physically. We're more diverse in what we do and we give our time to. Now we're familiar. People know us by our first names. But then you were known much more by your family name, your surname, or certainly your dad's name. And that became your identity. We were at a conference. Uh, Mike and I went to a conference in, uh, down in Coventry on Wednesday. And the, the journalist, Martin Bashir, has anybody heard of Martin Bashir? Interviewed very famous people. Born again. And he shared about a shift in society of individualism and how we'd lost our identity 
in being part of something bigger than ourselves. And he took us to the Scripture. He says, you are a chosen people, a holy nation. But Western thinking individualizes. It's about me pursuing my dreams, my wants, what I want, rather than what can I do for my family, for, for what I'm a part of, something that's bigger than me. And you know, historically, marriage defined the context in which a family then grew. Now that's totally changed. Marriage is a luxury. It's a kind of, we'll do it when we get round to it. That was the pinnacle of, of covenant and commitment, and now it's, well, we'll get a mortgage together, we'll move in together, that's the ultimate commitment, or we'll have children together, that's the ultimate covenant, and marriage is right down the pecking order. There's a program on TV at the moment on CBBC called Marrying Mum and Dad, and it's about where children are probably 9, 10, 11 years old, or maybe younger, and they get to basically, the, the, the show pays for the wedding, but they get to choose everything that happens on the wedding day. And their parents literally hand their wedding day over to their kids to plan it for them. So they do all sorts of crazy things. But, you know, it's the norm that children are arranging their parents' weddings. Now, I might sound like a 44-year-old dinosaur talking about these things as if they're weird or they're strange. But you know what? Society has moved so far away from God's will and what God wants that if we're not careful, the norm that everybody else accepts becomes the norm that we accept. But actually, we're here to express something different totally different. We're not about individualism, are we? We're part of a household of faith. And each one of us here represent households. It may be that you live alone, but you're part of a, a family unit that is, even if it's one or two people there are, or more, that you represent that household. That your household can represent far more than your natural wife and, and children, but it can extend even beyond that. The range. God wants us to be a household of faith with many households within it that are not separate from one another, but interconnected and interjoined and come together to express God's heart. Because here's the thing, God is passionate about households. God is passionate about family. If He wasn't, He would not have revealed Himself as and called us to pray to Him as our Father. Nothing speaks more powerfully of, a, of family than calling our God our Father. God got personal when he, when he came to our salvation. Who did he send? His son. This is family business. And when the son came and, and he paid the price for our sins and he died on the cross and he rose again and he ascended to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 tells us, is the spirit of sonship. So that we can say, Abba, Father. Oh, God is so passionate about families. God is so passionate about households. God loves you. He loves me. He loves us. He loves the world. And He wants us to express the household of God. He wants us to express whole households. In, in preparing and reading about this, I was just looking around at other stuff that's out there. And I read a report written by the, the CSJ. And uh, the CSJ is the Center for Social Justice, if you don't know what that is. So in 2004, the government set up a, a, a think tank called the CSJ, headed up by Ian Duncan Smith. Ian Duncan Smith is an ex-leader of the Conservative Party, and it's his responsibility to look at society, look at Britain, recognize the socioeconomic problems, and try to address them by researching and doing a thorough report and looking at different parts of society. And the one major thing, well, they picked up five pathways, five issues that they felt were a major cause of issues in society in the UK, bearing in mind that 
as an, economical, as an economic country, as a nation, we're rich, we're wealthy. There should be so many reasons why we're thriving, and yet they're looking at the nation and thinking, things are falling apart. And they looked at five issues, and all of them are interconnected, but the first thing that they highlighted as the reason why there were problems in this country was family breakdown. And I thought, hallelujah, finally, some sense, because I've listened to things on radio, and the way they describe family is like, ah, we've moved past that. Society's advanced beyond that. And they're saying, no, family breakdown is a major problem for us. They they highlighted five things, family breakdown, worklessness, personal debt, addiction, and poor education. And they said all of them are interconnected. And I was just reading through the report and just highlighted a few things. And it says, they make this statement, from our family we should learn unconditional love, understand right from wrong, gain empathy, gain respect, and gain self-regulation. Wow, that's a government think tank report. It's like, hallelujah. And it says these qualities enable us to engage positively at school, at work, and in society. But then they make the statement, tragically, half of all children born today will experience family breakdown by the age of 16. This breakdown is particularly acute in the most disadvantaged communities. It says we know that family formation affects the outcomes of children and general well-being demonstrating that two-parent families are by far the most stable. And within this, marriage is the strongest form of relationship. According to recent research, 97% of intact couples with 15-year-old children are married. Now, there's a statistic. That the vast majority of relationships that do remain and endure are because the, the parents are married. It says, one in two children born today will not grow up with both of their parents. And every year, an additional 20,000 people, mainly women, join the throngs of those raising children more or less single-handedly. Listen to this. One million children have no meaningful contact at all with their fathers. That's in our nation. That breaks my heart. One million children have no meaningful contact with their fathers, and that's a conservative estimate. Lack of male role models in many young lives is further compounded by the dearth of male teachers within state primary schools. It says such breakdown would not matter a lot if the human and economic costs were insignificant, but they are in fact devastating. It goes on to talk about the, the challenges that children have, particularly when they don't have a father figure in their lives. And it says uh, towards the end, there is often a perception that a man's role is one of providing but not of nurturing and caring or that positive father involvement can be an added bonus rather than something obligatory. Fathers are important to children's emotional and physical health, to their educational attainment, to their behavior, and their implicit exclusion is therefore a huge cause for concern. And then this is the last statement that I just want to hang on this before we get positive. (laughs) But this is, the, this is the society that we're in, and this is what God wants us to change. We're a people of restoration, and we express it here, but we take it out there. But it says this, by the end of a childhood, a youngster is considerably more likely to have a television in their bedroom than a father at home. That is a statement, isn't it? But you know what? There's hope. If it wasn't for Jesus... I'd read that and I would feel thoroughly depressed. But I read that and I say, Lord, help us. Help us convey your heart 
for this nation that's broken because we've moved away from your principles. We've moved away from biblical principles as a nation. And what we have, part of this, I just want us to realize what we actually have, that we don't take those things for granted because I'm so blessed that we're part of a church where even if there are people here and they're, they're a one parent family, it's not to condemn anybody who's in that position right now at all. So say you're part of something bigger than just your one parent family. You're part of this household and we want to help you and bless you and strengthen you and you will help and you'll bless and you'll strengthen us. And if you're sitting here today and you're part of a married couple and you have children, just say thank you, Lord. Because I tell you this, the reason that that many relationships are still standing together is because Jesus is at the center of them. And there's a world out there trying to make relationships work and God isn't there and they therefore have no hope for success. But when Jesus comes in, nothing is impossible. Whole households. Whole households. And um, I just want to read a couple of chapters at the end of Joshua, if that's okay. It's the last two chapters. It's, It's kind of Joshua's final words. And I'm reading it from the message. So I really love the movement of the Bible getting picked up. And don't, I don't want to dismiss that. But this is from the message, and so therefore many people won't have that. So I've actually put the words up on the screen so you can follow it on the screen, if that's okay. Because it's from the message version, which is a paraphrase, and therefore uh, quite different to many translations, but very much conveys the heart of, of God and what I'd like to share this morning. So these are the last, um, mostly the last two chapters of, of Joshua. So I'm going to read them. Please follow them on the screen behind me. And there's just a few things I want to just share off the back of it. Everybody okay? Great. So it's a long time later. After God had given Israel rest from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was a venerable old man. I love that statement. Joshua called all Israel together. This is a father calling a nation. Elders, chiefs, judges, and officers, and he spoke to them. I am an old man. I've lived a long time. You've seen everything that Yahweh... And by the way, when it's capital G, capital O, capital D, I'm going to say Yahweh, okay? Just because that's what it actually means. You've seen everything that Yahweh has done to these nations because of you. He did it because he's Yahweh, your God. He fought for you. Stay alert. I've assigned to you by lot these nations that remain as an inheritance to your tribes. These, in addition to the nations, I've already cut down from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. Yahweh, your God, will drive them out of your path until there's nothing left of them, and you'll take over their land just as Yahweh, your God, promised you. Now stay strong and steady. Obediently do everything written in the book of the Revelation of Moses. Don't miss a detail. Don't get mixed up with the nations that are still around. Don't so much as speak the names of their gods or swear by them, and by all means, don't worship or pray to them. Hold tight to Yahweh, your God, just as you've done up to now. Yahweh has driven out superpower nations before you. And up to now, no one has been able to stand up to you. Think of it. One of you single-handedly putting a thousand on the run because Yahweh is Yahweh, your God. Because he fights for you just as he promised you. Now vigilantly guard your souls. Love Yahweh, your God. Because if you wander off and start taking up with these remaining nations still among you, intermarry, say, and have other dealings with them, know for certain that Yahweh, your God, will not get rid of these nations for you. There'll be nothing but trouble to you. Horsewhips on your back and sand in your eyes. 
until you're the ones who will be driven out of this good land that Yahweh, your God, has given you. As you can see, I'm about to go the way we all end up going. Know this with all your heart, with everything in you, that not one detail has failed of all the good things Yahweh, your God, promised you. It has all happened. Nothing's left undone, not so much as a word. But just as sure as everything good that Yahweh your God has promised has come true, so also Yahweh will bring to pass every bad thing until there's nothing left of you in this good land that Yahweh has given you. If you leave the path of the covenant of Yahweh your God that He commanded you, go off and serve and worship other gods, Yahweh's anger will blaze out against you, and in no time at all there'll be nothing left of you. No sign that you've ever been in this good land He gave you. The covenant of Shechem. This is chapter 24. Joshua called together all the tribes of Israel of Shechem, called in the elders, the chiefs, the judges, and the officers. They presented themselves before God. Then Joshua addressed all the people. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. A long time ago, your ancestors Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor lived to the east of the river Euphrates. They worshipped other gods. I took your ancestor Abraham from the far side of the river. I led him all over the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. And then I gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I let Esau have the mountains of Seir as his home, but Jacob and his sons ended up in Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron. I hit Egypt hard with plagues and then led you out of there. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt. You came to the sea the Egyptians in hot pursuit with chariots and cavalry to the very edge of the Red Sea. Then they cried out for help to God. He put a cloud between you and the Egyptians and then let the sea loosen them. It drowned them. You watched the whole thing with your own eyes, what I did to Egypt. And then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the country of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan and they fought you. But I fought for you. And you took their land. I destroyed them for you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, made his appearance. He was the king of Moab. He got ready to fight Israel by sending Balaam, son of Beor, to come and curse you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam. He ended up blessing you over and over. I saved you from him. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The Jericho leaders ganged up on you, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites but I turned them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you. I drove out the two Amorite kings, did your work for you. You didn't have to do a thing, not so much as raise a finger. I handed you a land for which you did not work, towns you did not build, and here you are, now living in them and eating from the vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. So now, fear God, Worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods of your ancestors worshipped on the far side of the river, the Euphrates, and in Egypt. You worship Yahweh. If you decide that it's, bad, it's a bad thing to worship Yahweh, then choose a god you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worship from the country beyond the river or one of the gods the Amorites on whose land you're now living. As for me and my family, we'll worship Yahweh. The people answered, we'd never forsake Yahweh, never. We'd never leave Yahweh to worship other gods. Yahweh is our God. 
He brought up our ancestors from Egypt and from slave conditions. He did all those great signs while we watched. He has kept his eye on us all along, the roads we've traveled and among the nations we've passed through, just as he drove out all the nations, Amorites and all who lived in the land. Count us in. We too are going to worship Yahweh. He is our God. I love that. It's a response. It's an interesting portion of Scripture. It's, it's Joshua speaking. It's God speaking. It's the people responding. It's kind of a three-way conversation. As sometimes you're not quite sure who's speaking. Is this Joshua? Is this God? Is this the people? And sometimes Joshua is speaking, of course, on behalf of God. And I, I read that and I thought, there's a father, there's a, a leader, there's a head of a, not just his own household, but a whole nation, and he's making this, these final words, his statement, to leave with the people. And you know, I want us to think right now of the people under our influence, the people that we represent, particularly, particularly to fathers right now and to, to men, to heads of homes and to heads of families, to think about those that you represent right now. It might just be a spouse, it might be a wife and children, it might be, think about your extended family, think about brothers and sisters and their spouses, nieces and nephews, the people that you represent. You know, the book of Joshua begins with a household and it finishes with a statement about a household. It begins with a household of Rahab, a woman of faith who by her own faith not only saved herself but her whole family. Why? Because she understood, I'm ahead of this house. And Joshua at the end, a man standing up and saying, as for me and my house, We'll worship the Lord. Think about those people right now. Let those faces flash before your eyes and names come into your minds. Might be a spouse, might be children, might be nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters. Might be cousins. Think about the group that you meet with, the people that you're joined with in, in life group. Think about them. Think about their families and how we can be whole in, in, in that respect and the significance of our life groups. Then think about neighbors and, and other families that are around you, that are on your doorstep, people that you can influence and be a positive influence to, particularly those that are maybe lacking a, a father it's to, to bring something of care and, and, and headship and leadership into that situation. You know, we have so many opportunities to express this wholeness that God is calling us to not just know and enjoy, but to extend out there into the world around us. And there's three things I just want to highlight that Joshua says that I particularly am talking to the men, but I understand that not every person who's responsible for a household is a man in the room, and I don't want to be exclusive, but I am talking particularly to the men this morning. Is that okay? But this is for everybody. And by the way, if you're here and you're married to a man and you know that this is being shared to him, then pray for him. Yeah. Pray for me. <laughs> because we need to express this well. Gone quiet on me. Is that Okay. You know, I need your encouragement this morning, if that's okay. When you hear something that blesses you, I'd love to hear that from you. Just, I'm just putting that out there. The first thing is this, for whole households. This is what Joshua does. Acknowledge the Lord. <laughs> Joshua 23, verse 3. Joshua acknowledged the Lord's work in going ahead of them and fighting for them. He says, you've seen everything that God has done to these nations because of you. He did it because he's Yahweh, your God. He fought for you. 
And then in the big chunk of, of chapter 14, he does a bit of a Bible overview. He reminds them of their history. He goes back to Terah, and he goes back to Abraham, and he talks about Isaac, and Joshua, and uh, Jacob, and Esau, sorry, and, and Moses, and Aaron, and, and he reminds them, but in so doing, he's giving them faith for the future. You know, David shared last week, and he said, when you read these stories, are they kind of insights that you think, oh, that's a nice historical insight? Or do we take those things that, as historical as they may be, but think, but this is for me today, and this is for me tomorrow? And you know, so much of what is prophetic is based in what's already gone before, because God has revealed himself in the past through the great things that he's done. So God is saying, look back, look at what I've done, see my faithfulness, see my power, see my majesty, see my sovereignty. You saw it then, guess what? You're going to see it today, and you'll see it tomorrow. Acknowledge the Lord. So much of the prophetic is based in testimony because it then pushes us forwards. And he says, I sent the hornet ahead. What does that mean? The hornet ahead of you. I'm intrigued by that. But what I know is this, God went ahead of them. God disturbed their enemies before they even set foot in their territory. They were always and had always had the upper hand. Here's what I want you to know. Wherever you go, if you go walking where God's leading you, you will always have the upper hand because God has gone ahead of you. And for us, as those who are responsible for households, that in everything, we acknowledge the Lord. Recognize God in everyday life. That every day, I'm going to give glory to God for the things that He's done. And if things are tough, I'm going to give God an opportunity to show His glory in it. Give glory to God when things go well and give God the opportunity to reveal His glory when things are difficult. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Every time I read this, I hear Richard Pemberton's head, voice in my head, not head in my voice. That would be weird. Although his head is in my voice right now. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. The message puts it this way, verse 6. Listen for the Lord's voice in everything you do Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. So again, fathers, if sickness tries to come into your home, that's an opportunity right there to declare the goodness, the glory, and the power of God in that situation, to call the name of Jesus to be the name above colds and headaches and stomach bugs and anything else. But they were quick to bring God, acknowledge the Lord in those times. That if there's fear, we speak faith. We're not glib. We're not disinterested. We're not pushing them away with sort of texts that we've memorized, but actually we're we're there because we actually have faith for that situation and we speak it to them. We bring the word of God. When needs arise, we we, we declare that, but we trust God with everything. We do our best and we trust God with the rest. When good things happen, we acknowledge God. When people need advice and wise counsel, we recognize the Lord. We bring the word to bear. We turn our cares into prayers and our hoorays into praise. care into prayers. There's challenges right now. Let's pray. And when we have success, hooray, praise God. That's what it means to acknowledge the Lord. You know, my, my dad was saved when I was six months old, and we went to Bible college. He went to Bible college. We, had, we went with him. I had no choice. I was five. Um, I didn't get a say. So, um, and uh, we, they, they lived very, you know, people talk about living by faith. They had no real income. They knew that it was right to go, and it was a very much a kind of hand-to-mouth situation. They found jobs, found work, places to live, but believed God was going to provide. And um, I'd, I'd sort of forgotten this story, but it's always been in my mind because it's a story that goes back. You know how Joshua says, you saw these things with your own eyes. Yeah. 
Well, I saw this with my own eyes. I was probably six years old, and um, I knew that things were tight. We didn't have much anything in the cupboards. My parents were protective, but I kind of cottoned on that it was tough, that things were really difficult. And what I didn't know was how bad it was until my, my dad told the story again just a few weeks ago. But we got to a Friday. They were going to get money in on a Monday, and we had no money and no food for Saturday and Sunday in the house. Nothing. I don't think I've ever been aware of that lack. But that was genuinely the situation. And so they prayed, and, and they got us to pray. They asked God. So I was five or six, maybe. Catherine was probably, she's a year younger. So we, we got together and we prayed. And then my dad just thought, I'll just go and check my coats, just make sure there's nothing there. And he, he said he dug his hand into one of the pockets and he felt a piece of paper in there. And he said he had so much faith, he thought it was a receipt. <laughs> and he pulled it out and it was a five pound note. And he had no idea how it got there, but that paid for everything we needed. Bear in mind, this was the 80s, all right? This is like 81, 82. Five pounds, people were like, what? That's half a meal deal. But, uh, <laughs> paid for what we needed for the food that we needed for that Saturday and that Sunday. And I remember that. And I think, God, you're our provider. We acknowledge the Lord in a difficult situation. They didn't run around the house panicking. They didn't start knocking doors. We prayed together and God answered our prayers. And I look back and I think, God, you did it then, you can do it today. You did it for me, you can do it for them. Acknowledge the Lord. Men, dads, acknowledge the Lord before your children. Tell stories to your children about the goodness of God. Tell stories to visitors and guests and people who pass by your house about the goodness of God. Bring God into everything. Bring Jesus into everything. Make Jesus known. Make his presence known in our homes. So that's number one. Acknowledge the Lord. Secondly, set boundaries. You know, Joshua had to set boundaries. He had decisions to make. And, and the boundaries that he was setting them was for a peaceful and prosperous future for the people. And he says this, Stay alert. I have assigned to you by lot these nations that remain as an inheritance for your tribes. These, in addition to the nations, I've already cut down from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. And later on he says, Don't get mixed up with the nations that are still around. Don't so much, do you remember this? Don't so much as speak the names of their gods or swear by them. And by all means, don't worship or pray to them. Now, in Joshua 1, God had, had set the kind of overarching boundaries that they were to take, but there were 12 tribes that were then to move within that land and find their place, their territory. And that was a process that took place by conquest and conquering and ruling and then taking the land. And God helped Joshua choose which land to be, was to be assigned to which tribe by drawing lots. And the last time we see the drawing of lots in our Bibles, kind of the most recent one, was when? It was in Acts 1 when they were looking to replace Judas and there were two men up for it and they drew lots. Well, guess what? We don't need to draw lots anymore because the next, within 10 days' time of that, the Holy Spirit came. We don't need lots. We have the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit lots, but we don't need lots. It's a, sorry. I'm not sorry. Thank you. And you know, there are, for, for us within our lives, there are clear boundaries. And then for, for heads of households, particularly godly men and women, that we set boundaries within our homes. We set boundaries for our children. Joshua was clear. There are certain people that you mustn't relate with. There are certain places you mustn't go. There are certain relationships that are not allowed. And for us to be clear, there are certain things you mustn't see or hear or do, certain relationships that are just not for you. 
to acknowledge that and to set boundaries that we, here's another rhyme, ensuring God's lines for securing good lives. Ensuring God's lines for securing good lives, lives of goodness. And if we're not going to set the boundaries, who will? If we're not going to seek God's wisdom for our children and our families and what's right for them and what's not right for them, who will? There's plenty of people out there who are willing to give it a go. And they're not having any say in what my child and the boundaries are for my child, my son, my daughter. We need God's wisdom. We need His Holy Spirit. We need the counsel of one another. You need sometimes to to come and speak to us as elders about those things. We're here for you to do that. We love to do that, to pray with you and to help you make good decisions as families. You know, for me growing up, there was a very clear boundary set by my father, particularly in my teen years, where it was, I was not to go to date or to have a relationship with a non-Christian girl. And there was a girl in particular I really liked, but my father was like, no, took me to Corinthians about unequally yoked and light and darkness and but you don't need to just go there. It's clear here. God is saying there are certain relationships that are just no go for you. There'll be like horse whips on your back and sand in your eyes if you pursue them. It's very rich language, isn't it? And we had battles. We had conversations. I, I, I cried because I really liked this girl. But my father said, no, it's not good for you. You need to be with a godly woman. You need to be married to a godly woman. And I'm so glad that he was so strong with me because he wanted my best. And there were times when he was, I feel, for, I feel sorry for you, but this is the right thing for you. He set that boundary. And I'm so glad that I can stand here in front of Sarah with the children we have, the family we have. And it was because of my dad setting boundaries for me. It's a very specific, practical thing. But I just want to say, young men and women, if anybody here that's single, don't settle for anything less than God's best. And don't join yourself with somebody who is not born again. Born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it will be a problem for you down the line. Put it out there. And there were some boundaries. I look back and I laugh. In 1985, the blockbuster film, The Care Bears Movie, hit the cinemas of Merthyr Tidville. The Care Bears Movie. Does anybody remember The Care Bears? I want to be a Care Bear. Or things will be so great when I'm a Care Bear. That's what we're dreaming of. We'll make a great pair. We'll stick together through and through like glue. Anyway, I wasn't wasn't a fan. Uh, I happen to remember songs, all right? I played once, it logged. Anyway, the Care Bears movie came out. I was 10, Catherine was 9. All our friends had been to see it. It was in Merthyr Cinema. Yeah, six months after the release date, but it was there. And... My parents said, you're not going to watch the Care Bears movie. It's got witchcraft in it. Well, we were not happy. And we didn't go and see the Care Bears movie. And I have to say now, my parents look back at that decision and they laugh at themselves. But I would also say, I didn't miss anything by not going to see the Care Bears movie. What was more important is I had parents who were interested in setting boundaries that were going to be helpful for my life. I'm way more grateful about that than watching some movie in 1985 with Care-A-Lot. That was where the Care Bears lived. Like a play on Camelot. I'll move on. Anyway, to set boundaries, to secure good lives. And then lastly, I'm going to finish now. Lastly, to acknowledge the Lord, cares into prayers, to raise into praise, set boundaries, ensuring God's lines for securing good lives. 
And lastly, to raise expectations of those in our homes. Joshua was handing over responsibility to the next generation to take everything that God had promised him and them. Follow the word, he says. Stay strong and steady. Obediently do everything written in the book of the revelation of Moses. Don't miss a detail. Goes on to say, cling tightly to the Lord your God. Hold tight to him. Hold tight to Yahweh, just as you've done up till now. And then be careful to love the Lord. Vigilantly guard your souls, he says. Love God, your God. And you know, as, as those who are leading, firstly, I want to say this, we should be setting the pace. As fathers we sh- and husbands, we should be setting the pace when it comes to our faith and our walk with God. That's what headship means. It means leading those who are with us into the things God has for us by being men who are, love the Lord Jesus Christ and are after Him and pursuing Him and following Him above all else, and we lead our families into that. And if you do that and you have unsaved people in your family, they will follow you. They will follow you. I'm just making that as a statement right now. There are people in your family you want to see see saved. You pursue the Lord your God with all your heart and they will follow you into the kingdom to express that. And so I want to say this. This is the last rhyme. Set the pace, lead by example, and create space for grace. Set the pace and create space for grace. You know, I, again, talking about my father, he led by example. When there was a prayer meeting to go to, he went to it. He'd come home from work, he'd work eight till eight, he'd get back in the car, and he'd go to the prayer meeting. And and then he'd go back to work the following morning, work the same hours. We wouldn't miss a Sunday morning. We didn't have a family day on a Sunday morning. The Sunday morning is when the church gathers. We didn't give up the habit of meeting together. That was our priority. Yes, we went on holiday but we prioritized the gatherings. He was very strong in all of those things, but not only did he lead by example, he would ask me when we were before the gathering, he would say, what is God saying to you that's going to help the church this morning? And as a 14, 15-year-old, that was a really powerful thing. He was saying, what's God saying to you in his word? We were expected to learn scriptures. We prayed about things as a family, and, and we were asked as children to pray. We were expected to tithe. That in our pocket money and what came in, we were to give God a tenth. You know, tithing doesn't start when you get a house or when you get a job. Tithing is a principle that expresses, God, you're first in my life. So as soon as I have money that I call my own, I'm going to tithe it because it's His. And the tenth of it, I'm going to give to Him. But that we would be there, we would be about gathering, we would be about worshiping God, putting Jesus first. His holiday in the whole summer... We didn't go on any other holidays. His holiday was Bible week. So God's, the apostles are calling the people together. He had one week off. He was self-employed. He couldn't afford more time off. So the time we had away was when we met together for Bible week. That's the, that's the example he set for me. And I'm here to say, it was, it's a challenge, but I'm so glad that he challenged me. I'm so glad that he led by example that way. And I'm so glad that he created the space for God's grace to be evident in me as well. And here's the thing, there's nothing more wonderful than seeing your children, seeing your spouse, seeing Sarah thrive in her faith, being prophetic, taking things on and blessing people and people saying, we could both share and they'll be like, what Sarah said was so great. I'm like, oh. (laughs) She only shared for five minutes, I shared for 14. like, exactly. (laughs) 
but that in everything, you know, it's about seeing our household whole. And so that's my encouragement this morning, that we make that statement together. As for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord. I've said some challenging things this morning. I understand that. But, but this, I'm, I'm just bringing this back to the Word. And, and I, I would be remiss of me to not be challenging when God says it clearly in Scripture. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.